0: Welcome to Teaching Thursdays, in addition to the Better Bible Reading Podcast with Kevin Morris featuring sermons and lectures of various sorts. I'm glad to be with you for another episode because we're continuing our study of 1 Peter. If you have not been alongside us so far in our read-through and kind of brief analysis of 1 Peter, I want to welcome you. Thank you for joining with us. And please feel free to check out previous episodes. We have made it through so far the first 21 verses of 1 Peter, so we're going to be finishing up chapter 1 today. Verses 22 through the end of the chapter, so 22 through 25. Let me read that for us as we start things off today. And this episode will serve as finishing out those verses and then kind of giving a recap of the big takeaways from first Peter chapter one here is what it says in verse 22 having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So admittedly, we're dealing with far less verses than what we have dealt with in the last two weeks that we've been together uh, working through this, but hopefully just like we saw last week, First Peter is all about overlap, and it seems like this is really a common feature in the New Testament. Uh, people don't really talk about this quite as often with Peter, um, because the, the person that really gets all the attention of this kind of thing is John. Uh, But what you really see is the idea of cycles, or cyclical writing, or some people like to describe it as recapitulation. So you introduce an idea, you deal with it a little bit, and then you move on to something else, and then you circle back around to that idea you've already dealt with, and you expand it more, you open it up more. And then you move to the next thing that you've already dealt with, and you do that. The same idea, rinse and repeat, you see this in First John, probably the clearest of all examples in the New Testament, but you do see this in First Peter. We've talked about this already,
1: that Peter posits a certain idea or a certain truth about the Christian life. And then he
0: circles back around. Well, even though he's not necessarily doing that with the same idea, per se, he will do this later in his letter, he is doing this same kind of thing in terms of content structure. So let me kind of tell you what I mean by that. So we get to verse 22. And immediately we notice that it's very similar to verse number 13. Let me read verse number 13. This was what we started with last week. We did 13 through 21. Now we're doing 22 through the end of the chapter. Here's how 13 reads. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now let me read 22 again. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, for
1: a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So, Peter
0: included two necessities as being present in order for the command to be set forth. Now remember, that's what he did in verse 13, girding the loins of your mind, that was the first aspect,
1: and then we add that with being sober-minded, concludes with hope. So
0: if we want to put it in a mathematical equation, girding the loins plus sober-mindedness equals hope. 1 and 2 are dependent upon accepting the truth of verses 1 through 12. So verse 13 gives two ideas that equal hope, and that's his conclusion of verses 1 through 12. So now we move to verse 22, and we see the same kind of thing happening. So in this case, the mathematical equation would be purified souls plus sincere brotherly love equals Love. Now that may sound somewhat redundant, but I'll explain why we're dealing with two separate elements to give us a third element. If we break down Peter's thought in like manner, we'll see that 1 and 2 are dependent upon accepting verses 18 through 21. So again, the same kind of structure. Verse 13 is Girding your loins plus sober mindedness equals hope. And that mathematical equation is the summary of 1 through 12. So now, verse 22 purified souls plus sincere brotherly love equals love. And that's the conclusion of verses 18 through 21. So the foreknowledge of God and the centrality of Christ as the Lamb are now seen not as abstract ideas of confusing theology, but as purifying to our souls and producing a sincere brotherly love. I really like that, because we talked about how abstract or kind of foreign, the idea of Jesus as the Lamb foreknown before the foundation of the world, we talked about that whole idea of foreknowledge and predestination and the way that God sees things and ordains things in his mind versus how we see things from a ground level all in relation to time, not as somebody who is eternal like God is. We talked about all that, and that can certainly be something that is not for the faint of heart. It is one of those things that can either be an exciting thing to think about, it can be a daunting conversation that is maybe somewhat fun or somewhat stimulating to speculate about, or it could just be outright confusing and totally distasteful for you to even think about. Well, Peter tells us that thinking about that is not any of those things. We don't set the set the bar way low, we also don't say there is no bar because it's irrelevant. But instead, what he says is thinking about those things rightly and applying them to our lives rightly is purifying to our souls and producing of a sincere brotherly love. I think this is helpful to those of us who struggle to find out how theology is practical and applicable. We tend to divide the Bible into what is practical and what is informative or theological, but Peter seems to merge these together into one idea, one mode of communication. So, to put it another way, the Word of God is living, and God breathed. Just to touch on some other verses that talk about the relevancy and the life-giving nature of the Bible. So, let's now examine the difference between Peter's use of words in verse 22, because I I mentioned that the whole idea of love can seem somewhat redundant if I'm actually saying that purified souls plus sincere brotherly love equals love. That seems like A plus B equals B. It's a little confusing. So in the English language, it can seem that Peter is repeating himself regarding love because of that formula that I mentioned. So, if we take note of the language originally written by Peter, that is to say, newsflash, he didn't write in English, we'll notice that love does have different forms, different words altogether in the Greek language. And that's the case here. So, the first word we come to is brotherly love, which we see in English, and it's translated from the Greek word. Philadelphia. That should sound very familiar to you because that is why Philadelphia, Pennsylvania is called the city of brotherly love because it is a transliteration, which means it is a Greek word, Philadelphia, and that sound is morphed into English letters that make those closely correlated sounds, and then we make an English word out of it, i.e., Philadelphia. So Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love, is called that because Philadelphia, the Greek word, means brotherly love. But the word actually has a much stronger context in the sentence here. So Peter is actually saying having purified your souls by your acceptance of this divine reality, i.e., obedience to the truth, by a sincere brotherly love. What divine reality is Peter speaking of? Well, it's the calling upon God as our adopted father due to being redeemed and bought by Christ, and that's referencing back to verses 17 through 20. Peter said in 17 through 20, and if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, etc., etc. And remember, the contrast in that whole framework was having God as our father, and that is in contrast to the feudal things, the feudal ways, the feudal inheritance that we have from our forefathers. Now that speaks in a spiritual sense, that the best thing that we can get from our parents is death and sin, to put it bluntly, but also by way of talking about the element of adoption that is present in Christianity, that when we belong to Christ, we have God as our Father. Not just theoretically speaking, but truly, Jesus Christ as the Son of God becomes our substitute, becomes our advocate, becomes our mediator, and we gain all the good things that belong to him and that he is owed and that is his due, that he is qualified for, including his sonship, including his position as son of God. So when we talk about God being our father, that is not a throwaway phrase. That is a theological reality of our salvation, that we are children of God. And because of that, Peter is touching on that idea that those of us collectively that now belong to God are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is that divine reality, the truth that Peter speaks of when he says in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. The truth is the reality that God is our Father, and we are siblings, so to speak. That's a fascinating reality. And if we walk in the truth of God as our Heavenly Father, it sets us at peace with fellow Christians, fellow brothers, and produces a sincere or true brotherly love in sync with with the truth that we should be walking in obedience to. So, that's the first element, the the horizontal love, the believer-to-believer love, the Philadelphia, the brotherly love, the family bond of love that siblings enjoy belonging to the same household. We move from that concept, verse 23, to the result of command, which is, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Before we explain this, let's look at the reason Peter gives us, at the reason that Peter gives to us, quote, since you have been born again, and so on through the end of the chapter. Peter grounds our command to love one another in light of the reality of our rebirth. What is our rebirth? It's already been mentioned in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. There's that rebirth language. He's caused us to be born again, verse 3. It is, of course, the gospel, right? The good news of Christ and as we dive deeper, we know that the intent behind God sending Christ to us was love. We think about John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. So we know that God is love, which brings about the way in which He conducts Himself to His beloved, the Church. So as we take this train of thought and apply it to Peter's command that we love one another in light of the gospel we find that this love is now not talking about philadelphia brotherly love person to person but the grand love that god communicates to us and i'm sure you've heard of this before agape agape love this does not mean a sort of kumbaya love but it's the love by which god is described in the words god is love it's the love that is described to us in john 3:16 the sacrificial,
1: serving love from heaven to earth love that is described by the grand act of sending his son for us and the
0: work of Christ on our behalf. That is the expression of love we're talking about. So, not a
1: kumbaya love, but a saving love. Let the love by which you love your brothers, by
0: the love by which you were saved, bring that all together into your communion with God. That's what Peter is saying here. So you're taking the fact that you are living in light of the truth of the gospel, obedience to the truth, that first element, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, and For a sincere brotherly love. So, those two things are marinating, they're working, they're bringing this grand effect of the height of all love, or the most holistic or life banner
1: that you could possibly think of agape love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born
0: again, so this is this is the mantra that that Peter wants us to have. Let it be remembered that your brothers share an equal inheritance of the Father alongside you, since the precious blood of Christ is equally precious towards you and your brothers that's what Peter is trying to drive into our minds. let the Agape love of God spill over into your fellow heirs, so it should not just be me and God and the love that I share, but that should spill over to our interaction and our affection for our brothers and sisters, fellow heirs alongside us. This is the marvelous conclusion that we come to at the end of chapter 1, and I love that he frames it in this way, because what he does is end the chapter by citing Isaiah forty six through 8 It's fascinating the way that he does this, because what he does, should be no surprise to you, is he now bookends chapter 1, and I think even though chapter and verse numbers are not perfect they're not infallible they're not inspired please i don't know if anybody has has told you that i don't know if you are aware of the fact that when peter wrote first peter when john wrote the gospel of john when james wrote the book of james there were no such thing as chapter and verse numbers that is simply a later edition for referencing different parts of the Bible quicker. So they can be put in awkward places, and sometimes they are, but in this case, I think this is a wonderful spot to put one because it really does rightly situate the end of this chapter, I think, in the best place that you could possibly put it. And that's because it really is a bookend. And the reason for that is what he says. That you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God.
1: And then when he quotes Isaiah 40, verses 6-8, through which says this, All flesh is like grass, and all
0: its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, why of all of the verses in the Bible would Peter choose to cite Isaiah 46 through 8? In the Presbyterian tradition to which I belong, it's very common for the preacher to read his sermon text and then end his reading of the sermon text by citing this passage, saying, The grass withers. The flower falls, but the word of God abides forever. To remind us
1: that what is being said is not temporal, is not theoretical, is not conditional or contingent, but it remains true as long as God remains God. That is why Peter cites Isaiah 40. Because he wants us to remember that this whole idea that he's been driving into our minds in chapter 1, of the fact that we've been
0: born again into a new family, and we've been given an inheritance, that he really means what he says when he calls it a living hope to which we have an imperishable inheritance that is promised to us a faith that does not die but stands against every test and trial and is even refined and further protected.
1: He's qualifying all of those promises in the character of God himself. He says,
0: we're not talking about a false promise Assurance here. We're not talking about something that is true for as long as we remain good, but instead we're talking about something that is true for as long as God remains God. That's why he doesn't even end by simply quoting Isaiah 46 through 8. He ends by responding to Isaiah 46 through 8 with this final sentence of chapter 1. And this word
1: is the good news that was preached to you. The gospel, the good news, is the word that remains forever. Good news is not good news because of its theoretical fulfillment. Good
0: news is good news because of its certainty.
1: What a tremendous way to end chapter 1. That is a fascinating reality. And it's what Peter wants us to remember. And trust me, you
0: need to remember it. Because if you've dealt with First Peter
1: for any amount of depth, you know that some of the things he gets ready to talk about in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5 are tough realities. Because chapter 1 is a big segue of
0: assurance and trust in the certainty of God and what he intends to do for us because that's the only thing that can sustain us when we deal with the darkness of a fallen world,
1: with the reality of suffering, with the life that God has called us to live as pilgrims on this earth. But if we follow the rules of the good news, of its certainty, of its abiding nature, that it remains true as long as God remains God, then we won't be scared by the things that Peter tells us in the rest of this
0: letter. But instead, the things that Peter tells us in the rest of this letter will be qualified by everything that we've covered in chapter 1, and therefore they will actually serve to do what he says faith does in the midst of trials. And that is not to shrink, not to die off, but to actually grow, to actually mature,
1: and to actually produce even more fruit to God's glory. So again, in my opinion, there's not enough that can be said about First Peter.
0: People don't take enough time to appreciate its beauty and the way that it's structured. But I think it's a profound book that deserves our focus, and that's why I'm so glad that you're alongside me for our study of it. Well, this concludes our time in chapter one. I hope you really are starting to see the way that this book is shaping to be so formative for us as believers. And I hope that you're excited for our next episode as we get ready to begin chapter two, because I know I am. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the rest of your week. This is Kevin Morris with the Better
1: Bible Reading Podcast, and I'll see you on another episode real soon.